gone by <laughs> so quickly. <laughs> yeah, wow. Okay, so we're in 2023 now. That happened. That's February now. Yeah, oh yeah, it's February. Um, so this wild. week, yeah, it is wild. <laughs> Time, what a joke. What is it? Mm-hmm. Um, so what are we getting into this week? We're going to talk about uh, one of your new exciting hobbies and or skills. It's not a hobby. This is a lifestyle. This is a lifestyle. Learning things and mm-hmm. trying them out and mm-hmm. doing things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it, it is fun because learning and trying to figure things out I enjoy. Yeah. But I don't want to call it a hobby. I think we should stop calling your things hobbies. I think we should call them skills, interests. We have, yeah. for, well, we can back it up. For, we have this joke. Should I say what the joke is? Sure. <laughs> uh, we have a joke about Temba's many hobbies. Because if you've been listening to us. Hobbies. Right, right. But that's the joke is about hobbies, mm. right? Yeah. Um, for, if you've been listening and maybe if you follow Temba on, uh, tic, uh, on Instagram or whatever, you might have noticed that he does a lot of cool shit. This guy works with his hands. So we have this joke about Tempest. Many hobbies, because I once at work, when we used to work at the same restaurant, I worked, I walked into the break room, and two of our coworkers were talking to each other, and they clearly like sort of froze and stopped when they saw me walk in, and then they go, we were just talking about like Temba's many hobbies. So they were like talking about Temba or something, or us or something, and we're trying to cover their butts because they thought, I heard what they're saying. I definitely didn't hear what they're saying. <laughs> but as a facial, we were just talking about Temba's many hobbies. Or same, like worded it, something like that. So we always have this joke about Temba having many, many interesting hobbies, hobbies. Which he does. I, my, in my mind, they were slathering about it. They were like, why can't I find a man with many hobbies? <laughs> I don't have any hobbies. I don't... I feel like I'm not I'm not that casual. I go deep. It's no, not a fucking hobby. <laughs> you you uh you had to uh, microbes or micro obsessions or oh, like, what's the hyperfixate. word? Hyperfixation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, your new hyperfixation is uh uh go ahead, you you describe it. Oh, no, no, my most recent yeah, has been learning to build bows, like bow and arrow bows. Bow and arrow bows specifically it's a re- recurve. Um, yeah, I've been doing recurves. The first one was a long bow, though, but, uh, sorry, I don't want to get too nerd out too well, hard. Well, okay, so I'll, I'll interview you about it to keep you on you track. You don't have to interview I'm me gonna about inter- it. I will, so I've been, that you I've don't been get doing re- I've been doing recurves because they generate the most power out of the traditional bows. So, okay, just back up for a minute, um, when, when we think of bow and arrows, we think of, I think of, like... More often than not, at this point, I think of, like, a compound bow, like a hunting bow, which yeah. is, like, aluminum or something like that, and has, uh, like, a couple different wires that you pull back, and I've shot a compound hunting bow before, and they're kind of, like, very tense, and they take a lot of muscle and all of this. This is not that kind of bow. I feel like maybe if you come from somewhere where bow hunting is a thing, but I think, like, Oh, so mo- this is just a me thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I feel like most people, when they think, think of the bow, bow and arrow, making. they're thinking of, like, oh. yeah, more of, like, a... What the Indians used to use. Yikes. Quote, unquote. Yeah. You're right, though, probably. <laughs> um, which is what I'm making, is, like, a traditional-style bow, which is, you know, something that people use basically in every continent in the world. So why did what what was the impetus for this? Why did you start hyperfixating on this 
Uh, um, I started doing it because actually uh, uh, someone I follow on Instagram's friends with this uh, new new uh, like woodworking shop that opened a year ago, two years ago, something like that. And uh, one of the persons that runs it is a boyer, which boyer is a person who builds bows. A bowyer, like bowyer, Bo- like an I-E-I-E. Bo-yer. B-O-W-Y-E-R. Bowyer. Bowyer. Oh. Um, which is someone who builds bows. Um, and they were going to do a bow making class. And I was like, ooh, that sounds like a lot oh. of fun. And when the class opened and I was found out how much it costs, I was like, I can't afford that. I was like, fuck this shit. Like, <laughs> I, 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 all my woodworking stuff, I'm self-taught. So I was like, I can fucking figure this yeah. shit out. People put tons of information, how-tos on the internet. Like, so. So you started that's how I started. to spite them. No, not to spite them. In it despite. was more, yeah, in spite of in spite. this ridiculously priced class, which I'm sure is just full of a bunch of like kind of hipster people that are like, ooh, that'd be cute. And they aren't actually going to use the bow for anything. Right. Um, right. So, yeah, that's what started me down this path. So you have been, you have been making bows now for like a month or something? Maybe yeah, a little like longer? Yeah, like a month and a half-ish. And it's been kind of interesting to watch you do it because it's like, you know, you already have all the woodworking tools and all that, but you've bought a couple new things and then you're doing some new processes which involve like steaming it on the stove and stuff. Like yeah, to like do the recurve. So a recurve is a bow where the tips um, are bend away from you. And what that does is it generates extra power. Oh. Um, and the way to do that is you you have to either heat the wood with like a heat gun to get it to bend. Um, you can steam it or you can like do a, a combination of kind of boiling some of the wood and steaming it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you like bend it in a form. You can, yeah, uh, yeah. You bend it into a form, which kind of gives it the shape. <clears throat> and then as it cools, the wood basically like is locked into that curve shape. Yeah, it's a pretty cool process to watch because I see you like steaming it on the stove, and then you've created this little notched wood it's thing. Like a jig. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty interesting. It reminds me a little bit of like not basket weaving but like something kind of similar to that where you have to like wet the reeds and shape yeah. them but it's like a, obviously like a much more rigid version of that yeah yeah um and then how has it been going so you are on like your fourth bow third now? bow third bow now yeah um it's going good i'm uh the first two bow the first one snapped really early the second one lasted a little bit longer but also snapped I expected the second one was going to snap because I did notice, like, a little crack in a knot. Mm-hmm. And my third one also, I feel, is going to snap soon because I developed a crack um, in it. So the bows I've been making are what's called a board bow, where you use, like, a board from, like, Home Depot, basically. And they're not really the greatest bow-making material because those that lumber is, like, kiln-dried, mm-hmm. and that usually dries it out too much. You do want a little bit higher of a moisture content in your wood because mm-hmm. um, it keeps it a little more flexible. Um, it's also really it's really hard with 
that kind of lumber too because you don't have a whole lot of options Mm -hmm. and the grain's not always straight the grain like often there's knots in it which is something else that will weaken it Mm -hmm. um and i i gather from what i've read and in my research of making bows like they that's just something that happens too is like sometimes you just get a crack and that's that's it you just have to keep trying until you get one that's like a little better i think I think the next one I'm going to actually buy what's called a bow stave, which is like a roughed out piece of wood that is um, either a single trunk or a single like branch mm-hmm. off of a tree. I was going to ask. So those are a lot stronger because yeah. it's not something that's been sawed through um, from a random who knows what part of the tree this came from. What about harvesting your own wood? Is that possible or would that oh, be definitely. too green? No, you could. You just have to wait for it to dry out. Like a certain like, degree. It would be, yeah, it would be yeah. a process of like, I'm not sure exactly how long, but I would guess probably like six months, okay. four to six months to let it dry out. Um, there's several different varieties of wood that you can use. So you'd have to find one. Like that's part of the thing too, is like it has to be a wood that's dense enough but also flexible enough to handle the repeated mm-hmm. um, uh, drawing. drawing and flexing and that it's going to go have to go through as a bow because if it's too bendy, you're not going to be able to get any power out of it. And if it's not bendy enough, it's just going to crack. So there's like a fine line of flexibility and strength that you need to mm-hmm. find. And you also took, like, a class or something so you can go to this little archery range? Oh, yeah. There's an archery range uh, in South Pasadena, which is not too far from where we live. So to shoot there, you have to take, like, a safety class. Yeah. But, what, what was yeah, that it's like? not really a class. What was the... What, was the, what, was, what uh, were the people like? Uh, I mean, it's what you would imagine. It's all... Basically all white people. Um, but, like, is know. it like a... Is, is archery, like... When I think of archery, I think of, like, girls' summer camp, like, this girls' summer camp for rich kids I used to work at. Is archery considered, like, kind of a bougie, like, recreational activity? Like, horseback riding? I don't really know that much about it. I would, that would be my guess, is, yeah, it's kind of, like... Upper crusty. A little bougie. Yeah. Um, Yeah, the the lady that was reading, leading the class was kind of asking, like, oh who's doing traditional archery. There was like me and maybe two other people. She was like, oh, who's a hunter? I was the only person to raise my hand. And what else did she say? Oh, who's doing um, instinctive shooting? Also the only person to raise Mm. my hand. Mm. Um, So yeah, most people are coming from like a target. Yeah, yeah, like a sport target. I see. um, Purposes. There There was a couple there that... Uh, that came super late and she was like debating whether to like kick them out and make them take the class again because they were like they were like 45 minutes late oh and she's like oh are are you guys first timers and they're like no we shot on usc's i can't remember if it's usc or ucla Mm -hmm. i think it's usc's they're like oh we shot on usc's team Uh oh but they were the nerdiest fucking people why they're just what do you mean? Why? Just like, what does that mean? Like, they were like <laughs> not athletic, oh, like just oh. nerds, like like not. I mean, I'm you're a nerd. A, I'm a nerd, that's but what I'm, I'm saying. Very, I'm like, you're a nerd. I'm a nerd, <laughs> but I'm a. If you look at me, I don't. I 
like if I don't open my so they're mouth, like I look like an athlete. And not really, not <laughs> like that, but just very skinny, like okay. dweeby, like wow. looking. Uh, yeah, I, know wow, I sound like a dick yeah, right now. It does now. sound really dickish. <laughs> but, I was like, what does that mean? Um, it's hard to just. Dis- Should I talk like this? No. Like, what does this mean? Honey? Not like that. <laughs> it's not right. <laughs> it's not right. <clears throat> But, yeah, I don't know. I feel like archery's very nerdy, just because it's mm-hmm. um, it's a lot of repetition. It's a lot of, like, I don't know. I feel like people that are in, really get into it, like, you, it's very, it's a very nerdy thing. Yeah. I don't know. But you, so you were one of the only people to say you were doing it for hunting, which is the main reason you picked it up, right? Is you want to be able to hunt by bow. Ultimately, I mean, that's something I'm, yeah, very interested in, like, just having the skill of knowing, like, how to build a bow and use it also is very intriguing to me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, for me, like, mm, target shooting. I mean, it's a necessary evil if you're going to hunt. Target, yeah, target shooting is, like, for me, it's just practice to hone the skill of using a bow and being accurate but I don't, I'm not super interested in joining like a tournament or anything like right, that like right. maybe I'd try it for fun sometime but so would you be able to hunt like a big like big game like a deer absolutely with the Pe- bow the bows that you are yeah. making people people hunt elk with soft bows so people hunt moose with soft bows you were saying too that it's just like a difference in the tip of the arrow or type of arrow or something like, what is the big difference between the arrows you have now? No, I have field points. So you're not going to kill a big game with that. Like, you, what you need is a broadhead, which is basically, like, razor blades. Got it. Um, you also need... You probably need, like, a certain poundage also. Because yeah. you're going to need to get that. To, the bigger the animal, the more shit you're going to have to shoot through to get yeah. uh, so the pound, a vital organ. The poundage so is need, the thing that... Just to explain to people who haven't been watching you do this process. Poundage is like the draw weight, which is how how much force it takes to pull the string back to your draw length. Mm-hmm. Most, well, I don't, my draw length is 28, 28 is kind of like, 28 inches is kind of like an archery standard, but depending on how long your arms are, you might have a longer or shorter uh, draw length. And, um, so, yeah, you want to, when you're building a bow, you kind of want the maximum force to be at whatever draw length that you're building that bow for that person. And then you have some kind of weird little ometer thing that, like, measures the... It's just a, it's just a, it's just a scale. Okay. So, yeah. Oh, so it's like you're pulling down how many pounds worth of... You're, so remember how those notches are yeah. on my tillering stick? Yeah. Each notch is an inch. So you just know, like for me, 28 inches is the very last notch. That's when, I, when I'm pulling it all the way down to that notch. Mm-hmm. I, I'm noting the weight it's at at mm-hmm. that notch. So that lets me know what, what uh, mm-hmm. draw weight I'm at at my draw length. Do you think you will end up going out and trying to hunt with it? Absolutely. Here in California? Um... Like, rat, did, like hairs? If I did it in California, I would have to get, like, a small game, like, small game tips. Mm. Like, for smaller animals, you, 
it's basically like a blunt force kill mm-hmm. as opposed to using like a broadhead. It, it most small game are gonna be so small you're gonna, you're gonna blow them apart. Do you have to have like more precise aim with that than like a gun? Because when when we were hair hunting. Yes, you want the most ethical shot, but it's probably going to kill the animal. I don't know. We're... All my all my shots are headshots. That's what you're supposed to be aiming for, right? Same with... Yeah. Um, I mean, if you, they're so... Like, hairs are so small. Like, yeah. even with a 22, you're going to waste a lot of meat if yeah. you hit, do the a body, body hit. Yeah. yeah. The same thing then with arrow? Like, you're trying to blunt force the head, or you can blunt force anywhere? I mean, I guess you could hit the body, and it's... I mean, you're going to bruise it. You probably, oh, the meat will bru- be bruised. Bruised yeah. meat is probably not yeah. the be- no, it's not. most appetizing, but yeah, you're aiming for the head. So that's yeah. your new hyperfixation, mm-hmm. and I hope that you get to... Uh, well, get a bow that doesn't crack. Maybe that... Well, once you get this other... What's it called? The blank thing? Stave. Stave. Yeah. Um... And then maybe we'll go out hair hunting with. Oh, we're going hair hunting with but... gun, and, but maybe with gun and arrow at that point. Who knows? Yeah, possibly. Cool. One of the things that. Uh, Wait, when do I get to make you a bow? Make me a bow. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Do you really want to make me a bow? If you're going to use it, yes, but I don't want to do it if you're not interested in using it. I'm not sure. I mean, I guess if I was to. Uh-huh. I don't know, cause you know, you know I'm like a little like not queasy, but uneasy around guns. Even though I've grown up around guns, I've shot them my whole life. It's not like my fantasy to hunt with guns. Maybe I would feel now. I don't see myself feeling more comfortable uh, attempting to hunt with a bow and arrow, cause I just don't think I have the kinesthetic awareness to ethically hunt. With a bow and arrow. That was practice. But it's like, doesn't sound that interesting to me. Mm. I'm just like, I don't know, there's other things I'd rather do than shoot bows and arrows. It's okay, I'm not trying to yuck your yum. You're not going <laughs> to get prepared? Well. <laughs> you're going to prepare? For... <laughs> well, here's the thing about preparedness is not everyone has to prepare for the same tasks. I'm sure if we were in a survival situation and it was like, okay, we both need to know how to do this shit now. We would teach each other the things we know how to do. Sometimes there's not going to be time for that, though. you got to gather those skills now. Well, let's, <laughs> well, let's get into it, then. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think, I think the thing about preparedness is, like, knowing what to prepare for is... It's like, you don't know what to prepare for. In an apocalyptic scenario, so apocalyptic. I don't know. I think it's. I my point of view is that it's very easy. You need to know how to build shelter. You need to know how to procure food. You need to know how to navigate without using a GPS. Mm-hmm. You need to know how to gather water, where to find water, where to find food, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's more to it than that. There's definitely more <laughs> to it than that, but yeah, I think. Just basic survival skills are super important for everyone. Like, to me, like, prepping doesn't make any sense because... Mm. Well, no, just... pre- well, prepping, you see, you're using the, like, you're using the, like, pop culture version of prepping when you say that. Because mm. when you're talking about learning how to shoot a bow and arrow, that is prepping. That is becoming prepared. Absolutely. To... That, I'm talking... Yeah, prepping as in, like, stockpiling shit. Yeah, that's different. Like, 
collect skills. Skills you can take anywhere with you. You cannot take 500 pounds of MREs. Nor do you want to. I was reading about, uh, I read this article yesterday that was about, like, um, by this, uh, this anarchist, Margaret Kiljoy wrote this, uh, article about how more leftists should open their minds to prepping because it's become such a, like, right-coded activity, Mm. um, and how it's important that more leftists think about it so that there's more people who can provide, you know, mutual aid and networks of care in those scenarios instead of, like so many issues, people just choose a side and if it's the the issue is not on their side, they like stay away from it. Yeah. Or disown it. But like, being prepared for various, you know, government societal failures, which are inevitable and we're living through them and have lived through them, um, you know, is... I think something that everybody could stand to do. Absolutely. And not even on that scale. You don't have to right. take it to there. Like you could get into a fucking car accident anywhere. And what if you fly off the road in the middle yeah. of the woods somewhere and right. you have to fend for yourself for a couple of days. Right. Like these are valuable life skills that yeah. everyone should be like able to at least grasp, you know, well, let's... it's especially like first aid stuff or right. like, yeah, being able to like learn about plants and herbs that are medicinal. Like right. I wouldn't really consider myself a quote unquote prepper in any like sense of the idea. But I like we were talking on the cultivore po- podcast, like, uh, what, what is it? Uh, I'm very into rewilding, like learning these survival skills that our ancestors all like. This is like you know, re- kid stuff from a you lot. You know, of... rewilding has a different term though. And this or, is or, how I use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, like rewilding also has like kind of a I don't know, not so positive connotation of like hippie new age white people going to like. Costa Rica and being like we're rewilding and you know what I mean there's I've never heard it used like that I've only ever heard it used in the same context I do but yeah I mean that's not the fuck I'm talking about yeah I'm just I'm just saying like that term (laughs) has like a broad usage and like some problematic spheres I'm talking about like being comfortable with and learning how to procure your own food and being closer to that cycle the life and death cycle that's around all of us Well, let's talk about this episode of The Last of Us that happened last week Hmm. and kind of like backtrack back to this uh, image of the prepper that looms large in American, the American imagination, I guess. Yeah. Because that is what, um, spoiler alert, if you have, if you are planning on watching the third episode of the uh, HBO Max TV show Last of Us. Turn the shit off now. Turn it off now. We're gonna <laughs> we're not gonna tiptoe around the subject better. But um, in this episode, it was kind of like a one-off, almost movie-like episode, um, where this uh, shit hits the fan. A fungus, uh, cordyceps, is now able to infect like mutates and mutates and is able to infect human bodies and they, they use the human bodies as hosts. So they're kind of like mushroom zombie. It's like for a, people it's don't like, know, cordyceps mushrooms is like a not predatory, a parasitic fungus that like usually infects grasshoppers 
and like control basically zombifies grasshoppers like controls the grasshopper body to like infect other grasshoppers and so that's kind of the premise of the show um in this episode they're exploring the experience of one of the people one of the survivors of this apocalyptic fungus zombie event and his name is bill and we see him as shit is hitting the fan down in his bunker with his like all of his guns. He's like, finally! His stockpile of guns, his security system, all these things that he has been preparing for, for, you know, probably his whole life. The You know, everyone else gets sent away to, like, quarantine caps, camps. He doesn't get rounded up, and he's finally living his, like, proper fantasy. His dream. <laughs> Everything that he always knew would come true in his conspiratorial thinking um, comes true, and he's, you know happy as a clam that he was right but he's also a little lonely (laughs) (laughs) um and uh i don't know do we want to do a whole synopsis basically someone else comes along they fall in love and it's a beautiful tale of two preppers and gorgeous love story for the ages well one of them's not a prepper no but they but they be what right the other one whatever they live in the prepper paradise together that bill has created what i thought was really beautiful about the story was you know, first of all, showing the diversity of preppers. I mean, he was, I guess, like, you know, he looked like what you think of as the normal prepper. And a like mountain a, man vibe. A crusty, bearded white guy who's maybe a little, like, you know, emotionally reserved and um, uh, misanthropic or something like that. Um, but he's also a repressed homosexual man. Who's clearly... Or presented as a quote-unquote cultured person. Right. Though, oh, like right, right. Pairing the proper wine with the right with the right wild game. But that was also them trying to music. like that was them trying to like gay code him as if gay people could only be interested in Linda Ronstadt. And like, <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, whatever. I got it for cinematic for cinematic reasons. That's how they they played it. But. Um, I thought it was really interesting just to like give a little more dimension to that character, the the imagination of the prepper character, um, and to show them him having like emotional depth and love and melting that misanthropic heart, even though he was right. Mm -hmm. Like my favorite part of the whole show was when they get in their lover's fight about, you know, painting the house and the other guy was like, you're just like a conspiracy theorist who thought 9-11 was an inside job and that the government is Nazis. And he was like, the government is Nazis. And he was like, well, we didn't know that that. Well, they weren't then or we didn't know that. He was something like, they didn't (laughs) always used to be or something. I was like, no, bitch, they've always been that way. Honestly, that was my favorite part because, as we know, so many conspiracy (laughs) theories have turned out to be true. And that was like a moment of like admitting they were true, but it's like conspiracy theories aren't allowed to be true until later. You know what I mean? It's always like, well... You weren't right if you knew before everybody else knew. You're only right when it's, like, proven right or whatever. Yeah. I thought that was really cute. Um, But anyway, so, yeah, I liked that this was, like, I don't know, just, like, an exploration of, like, mm, the the, the humanity behind a prepper, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But, so, let's just talk about the way he prepared. Because we've also watched some prepper shows. I, uh, full, full disclosure, uh, grew up with a, <laughs> a sem- uh, I guess you could call him a prepper, semi-prepper parent. Um, so I'm, it's quite, it's a subject that's quite close to my heart. Um, 
And yeah, I probably don't even know the full extent of those preparations, but I know that prepa- I know that preparing is not the worst thing in the world, you know? If you have the expendable income, which not everybody does, if you have this storage space, which not everybody does, we certainly don't, no. then like, yeah, not you mean knock yourself out and prepare, you know? I mean, we live in an earthquake zone. We could be more prepared for an earthquake, you know, yeah. than we are. Um, but unfortunately, we don't have the extra income or space to do that, you know? I mean, what would we even do? We live in a over 100-year-old, poorly maintained <laughs> rental that has that termites. Has termites and is has no foundation. Like, our whole house is propped up on I mean, stilts. Do you think a house like this would survive an earthquake? Uh, like, the big one, I mean? Like, we've been in an earthquake. Nah, shit's falling down. I know, I always wonder. For sure. I'm not sure, because... I don't know what earthquake damage looks like on, like, one-story buildings. I always think of, like, big buildings. That big crack in oh, the wall? Yeah. That's, earth, that's yeah. shif- shifting house damage. Yeah. Like, yeah, now nah, shit's falling down yeah. in the quote-unquote big one. On us. So, yeah, it's like we're shelterless. <laughs> it, our water's buried under a bunch of rubble. What's the point of stockpiling water that we're most likely not going to get to? Yeah. I mean, that's why I say... There's other skills. Invest in skills, yeah. not material things. Like a few material things, yeah. It's yeah. good to have, you know, first aid kit. Well, a knife, flashlights, like basic, some basic stuff. I but. mean, I'll be honest, like to be prepared while living in Los Angeles, I don't have a great idea of what I would do in a disaster situation here. Let's let's imagine a natural disaster. Let's say Depends let's say on the, the disaster. Big one. I think. Exactly. So let's say like the big one. What would we do if all the freeways are clogged and you can't get out of the city and there's no fresh water and you know what I mean? Like how prepared can we really? I don't be know for if you that? need. I don't know. It, it really. It, I don't know if they need, you would. We would need to get out of the city. Yeah. Necessarily, if we were still able-bodied. Yeah. Like. Right. Mm, I mean. Like, the, yeah. Is everyone going to be hitting the grocery store? Maybe. I mean, here's the but, thing that I. Uh, this article by Margaret Kiljoy I was reading yesterday. I'm thinking about Last of Us and thinking about preparedness. The point that she was making, too, is, like, the best thing you can really do to be prepared is know your neighbors. Yeah. Is cultivate relationships with people who are within walking distance of you, within close proximity to you, and have... You don't have to love them. You don't have to like them. But you have at least a working, cordial relationship with your neighbors where you know you can go talk to them and see what they need, see if they are willing to help with what you need, and if not, whatever. You know what I mean? Panic and fear can do certain things to people as well you know absolutely but that you have some kind of relationship with your neighbors and to me that is the most prepared that you can be because no one can predict exactly how shit would go down but they're gonna have a little something you're gonna have a little something you know if there's some kind of um yeah some kind of established relationship most people want to help each other out when they For see sure. others suffering, you know? So that's about, I don't know, that that's how I prepare. I try to talk <laughs> to our neighbors and, fit, you know, there's a little bit of a language barrier. Um, the people that, I mean, on my part, because I don't speak any Spanish, um, but I do my best to, like, acknowledge and know our neighbors, and that's all I really got because we can't stockpile. We can't, and we don't know if our house would be standing. We don't know what those situations would look like. 
But let's say you can learn to shoot a bow. I mean, what we are we get gonna? Those what geese are we gonna? I'm, at the I'll, park, I will throttle a goose with my bare hands, like I've always They're dreamed. Run away. I don't know. I just, <clears throat> I personally think like, I, I believe honestly in my own scrappiness, and also I believe if I die, I die. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Same. it's like that's like also part, maybe part <clears throat> of the reality of being prepared is preparing to die and realize like. You can't, you know, you're alive now. You're living the way you're living now. There's only so much you can do. You know that you have, like, a certain scrappiness to get certain things done. But also, there's a lot of things I don't know how to do. And I'm not going to spend all my time doing, figuring out how to, do, how to do it. And then I might die. Whatever. Maybe you'll decide you don't want to hunt meat for me with your bow. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll be the end of that, I guess. And I'll just starve to death. But... We also have skills we will share with each other. You know what yeah. I mean? Like the fact that I eat plants everywhere I go that may or may not kill me. But I'm always trying to learn about like forageable plants that grow right here in the city, you know? Mm -hmm. By randomly tasting things. And people think I'm a little nuts for that. But I'm like, I kind of think we have evolved to some extent. I don't want to press this too far because I know like <laughs> I'll end up eating a berry and like getting diarrhea at some point. But like, <laughs> I do think there are, like I have like, I have, like, a big enough visual catalog in my mind of, like, edible plants and what they look like, and I've done some research, and then sometimes I just taste things, and I'm like, does this taste like it's gonna kill me? Because <laughs> we've evolved to, like, no. I feel like there's some, like, um, what is it called? Uh, knowledge that is, like, inherited, inherited. Yeah. I think it's it's, that it's right word, inherited knowledge. It's similar to like epigenetic in a way. It's not yeah. the same as inherited trauma knowledge, but it, I think there is some like there, yeah, inherited yeah, uh, intuition and instinct about edible foods. Yeah. And you shouldn't rely solely on that instinct because that can be very foolhardy. But I like to just take little nibbles of things that I think seem edible and then later check it out, you know? Or not check it out. I just like to taste things. <laughs> and I and I have an extensive food map in my mind of our neighborhood. Yeah. And that's something I've been building for like, I don't know, six, seven years now. Because I've been in the same like one mile radius for like six years. Definitely a good thing to have. You can hunt and I can forage. Just like in the olden days. <laughs> <laughs> Seems a little gender essentialist. We're going to need those essentials <laughs> when the shit hits the fan. Actually. I'm joking, of course, but, <laughs> but that's just what I enjoy. I enjoy yeah. wandering around and like identifying plants, you know what I mean? And I think we don't need to both enjoy doing those same things. The idea is our interconnected relationships fill in the gaps with each other, you know? I'm not going to be around forever. Well, me either. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to eat the wrong berry one day, <laughs> but then you'll know not to eat it. <laughs> I'm going to get gored by a deer. So let's say we didn't live, <laughs> let's say we didn't live in the city. Let's say we're living out our homesteader fantasy in a non-urban setting. Yeah. Then would you, would you ever prepare in the way Bill prepares? Like stockpiling guns, stock, I liked that he stockpiled not ammunition, but the ingredients and materials for ammunition, because that is how you should do it. You can't rely. Yeah, it's, it's much smarter to, I mean, it's, if you have the money for the equipment it's cheaper to uh what's it called i can't remember the word but make your own like old dune, like dune buggy john yeah out in the desert um because 
as long as the center center fire round, you can re. It's called reloading. You can reload your cartridges as long as it's center fire. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's much cheaper than buying like boxes and boxes of ammo. Yeah. Um, but you need some some pieces of equipment to do it. Yeah. And then also like yeah, the room to like have big bags of gunpowder and shit like that. Do you feel like that is something? I don't know. Do you feel? Does that kind of no? You're into skills. No, not I'm, materials. No, because yes. you don't know what's coming down the yeah. pipeline. Like wherever you are, might seem safe, but it might not actually. You might be have safe. to head out on foot. And what if you? Yeah, you have to leave on foot, and then if you don't say, yeah, you invested all this time in learning how to use guns, and you can only bring two. You can only yeah, you can only bring your sidearm, and you have like two magazines of right. ammunition. Then you have a. What, a big paper weight, yeah. yeah. But if you know how to build a bow and arrow, and you happen to have a hatchet or a right. knife that you can like shape it with the wood, then you can feed yourself. Well, with and that. here's the other thing that it like dovetails into is this idea of um, uh, time luxury. What what was I calling it? There's this concept called like time abundance or time. Hmm. wealth or whatever the luxury it is. of like yeah having free time having free time which is like what theoretically like a, a socialist future is like supposed to be you know moving towards is that hmm. you have more time to do what you want less time given to somebody else getting rich off your labor right yeah um so kind of like that mindset to me of like i'm gonna use my time learning skills that i also inherently enjoy figuring out because it enhan- it enhances my life, my pleasure, my feeling of like um, achievement as a human being, not as like an external achievement, but as like learning something new, you know? Yeah. Um, that like to be a prepper, I think the kind of the the you know the traditional prepper, the kind of money it takes to do that. Oh yeah. You have to be either an entrepreneur and you own your own business or something, or you're toiling your whole life for somebody else to be able to pay for the materials it takes to be truly prepared, right? Yeah. So then you end up just spending your whole life imagining this disaster to come while toiling for somebody else. And yeah, it just doesn't really, I don't know, it doesn't really, to me, it doesn't jive with like how you tend to want to live your life anyway. And same with me. Like, I don't want to like, I don't really want to be like, spending all my time figuring that shit out yeah i i mean this is also part of why i don't connect with the idea of a quote-unquote prepper it's because i'm not prepared i'm not like preparing for some far-off thing these are skills i'm gonna use now right you get to do it now and they could come in handy yeah i go hunting now right i i'm building bows now yeah yeah learning to make a fire for fun and it's like for fun. Like you're like when you learn to make the Oh, I I learned how to use a fire bow because I had to make a fire <coughs> with a fire bow, not So when fun. you practiced it though, it was just to oh, keep that that was just skill to, up. Yeah, yeah, it was just to see if I could still do it cuz I hadn't done it in many years. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I don't know. I've yeah, for me that is being more connected to the world around me instead yeah. of like oh i'm gonna go use some matches like no let's use things that are here mm-hmm. um well and ultimately <laughs> in a in an emergency situation like you said like relying on your cash your cachet of 
stored goods is not necessarily yeah. the smartest. Those things aren't going to last forever. Right. It's like if you learn how to how to 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 me like being more in tune with the my environment and learning how to use what's available there mm-hmm. is more interesting to me. It kind of goes hand in hand with like our or yeah, the way I think about like food procurement. It's mm-hmm. like I don't want to be like <clears throat> eating food that was like grown so far away and using like all this mechanized thing. Like if I really if I had the space, I would love to grow all the fucking vegetables, mm-hmm. like, and be connected to that food. And, like, also the meat that I eat is all meat that I hunted myself because I have that connection to that. Mm-hmm. And, like, I know where it came from mm-hmm. instead of, yeah, relying on kind of, like, yeah, this capitalist system which divides <clears throat> people from their connection to the things that they use and consume. Yeah, I think it's harder to do that living how we live now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, There's only so I'm much not saying that we yeah. can do that 100%, but, like, learning about those things and making mm-hmm. the steps to, like, mm-hmm. be more connected. Even if it's, like, yeah, when's the last time that, we, that I harvested a deer? It was, like, two years ago, yeah. but... You're going to remember that process. That yeah, yeah, that process and being like, oh, okay, I know what it is to do that yeah. now. Like, I, it's not as daunting as it was before I hadn't had that yeah. experience. And, and it's, it's not like, it's not, you're not prepping, but it has made you prepared for it's, an yeah, instance it's, where you might need to procure food. It's more way. like how, that's the life I want to move towards. Right, right. Um, yeah, I kind of liked that in the. I did appreciate that in the show. They they showed a little bit of him with his free range chickens mm-hmm. in the garden and that kind of thing. Like that is obviously also what you would have to do. They didn't just say he was stockpiling MREs for yeah, you know, f- fifty years worth of MREs because that's not your your. I think it says in this in this article I read yesterday that like it will cause like liver damage if you, <laughs> if you live on MREs long term or something. Not liver, but, like, gallbladder or something. It does something fucked up to your guts Mm. if you eat too much of that food. Um, So, yeah, anyway, just that, like, that those homesteading things, the things we do here. Yeah, homesteading. We're not, like, yes, we're not living off of the fruits of our garden, but you are practicing the skills. On a smaller scale, yeah. On a small scale, the skills. We have our chickens. We have all these fruit juice. We have, like, (laughs) grow vegetables. We make beer with kumquats that we grew on our trees and i'm just i'm you know i i'm also i grew up in an environment where scavenging was big where freeganism was like big and where foraging is like something that these are those are the values that i hold really close is like you can know how to shoot a bow but also in like an emergency situation where you can't carry your bow you, you know what i mean what else can you do for food i really like because i guess i've been like you know, at certain points in my life just haven't been able to have that many things or space to build things or make things. I've kind of learned to just do what I can with, like, very little or things that I find on the street. Mm-hmm. I'm just big into foraging, I guess. Foraging and scavenging are, like, I think my survival and preparedness, they're not skills per se, but they're comforts. It's like a comfort level with, like, I know that if I'm in a certain situation, I will scrap together something that's going to, like, be, like, a weird jerry-rigged tool Mm -hmm. for something that needs to get done. And I think, like, 
yeah, I think those are just practical skills you learn from like having to in the world, you know? Yeah. But also learning chickens is really cool. I don't yeah, know, that's, but... been, that's been super enlightening. Like I've never had a, like, what would you call them? <laughs> They're such awful little wretches. But like in the survival scenario, I guess we could tolerate that. <laughs> the only problem with them that I have encountered is like, we do rely on the feed. And can I share the conspiracy theory about the feed? Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to this, like, I don't know why it came across my Twitter feed. There's some, there's some kind of new conspiracy theory. There's an egg shortage in the US, supposedly. Or something where, like, people feel that there's less eggs available and that their price has gone up. We're not sure because our eggs, our hens have started laying again. So we have not had to buy eggs in a while. But we were buying eggs for a little while, right? Yeah. And even then, we did have a couple instances where we, like, couldn't find eggs at the store, had to go to another store, like, once or twice, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, so there's something going on with eggs in America. I think the answer is like avian flu outbreaks which are pretty common in factory farming because yeah once one once one gets one that's it you have to call like three hundred thousand chickens at once (laughs) and you don't get to eat them that's just it right you don't eat avian flu chickens do you or do they i'm not sure uh it depends i mean it might not be avian flu it could be some other thing that yeah is it oh i mean any kind of sickness outbreak i think they're that's it they have to call them and yeah you lose on another note, avian flu just jumped to mammals for the first time oh. as of like this morning. Uh, I didn't look too deeply into it, but I guess a big like um, colony of harbor seals washed up and they tested them for avian flu. Oh, I don't know. They tested positive. And they tested positive. So shit's getting weird. What if it's alien <laughs> flu? Might be. I don't know. I, let's just say shit's getting weird in the pathogen zone as it's been weird for a few years. But anyway. <laughs> I mean, shit's been jumping yeah 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 for but also but also there's uh uh ade auto body dependent enhancement in chicken farms because of the amount of um antibiotics antibiotics they Mm. use in the chickens so the outbreaks are increasing because the um antibiotics are mutating the viruses to like creating yeah yeah, antibiotic resistant resistant strains of of flu things so anyway, getting back to the conspiracy theory, it was that it was that people are um, commit. They they were saying like, my chickens have been such good layers, such good layers, but suddenly they haven't laid for like three or four months. And this is all kind of backyard chicken people or like very small scale farm, uh, like organic chicken people, saying like, whoa! In this thread, mine either, mine either. They haven't, and then all of a sudden, I switched the feed and they started laying again. People are like scratching their chins. Mm-hmm, what is it? And they're convinced that the feed has been purposefully ch- tainted to just st- one brand. <laughs> Purina chicken feed from Tractor and Feed Supply has I been purposefully use... tainted to stop the chickens from laying because there's a conspiracy to it's. It goes back to the compulsory veganism conspiracy. <laughs> I wouldn't use Purina for any animal. Apparently, well, Purina's. Yeah bad <laughs> yeah no, i mean but i mean if you're whatever if you're yeah if that's like if you only have a tractor feed store and that's all they have or it's the cheapest True. one anyway my point was the chicken feed is like the one little piece of the puzzle with like chi- like um homesteading chickens is like 
Mm, would we be? I guess if we had chickens in a disaster scenario, I would think we would want to free range them. No Absolutely, because yeah. you would not. Chickens ha- are you wouldn't scavengers. Ha- they're like, scavengers, and they could feed themselves. You would only need to supplement with like greens and, and you can, scraps. Yeah, you can give literally give them your scraps. What was this video you saw today with like the the free ranging chickens? It was so cool. Oh, uh, it was some like regenerative farm person was talking about like I guess. Seemed like they had oh, they had a lot of chickens. It I was can't like hundreds, they and I they thought were, she said thousands. They were roaming in the they roam in the woods. They free range. They in the free range their chickens in the woods, and they were kind of talking about like oh, people ask her all the time like how do you keep predators away, and because they, they roost in the trees at night, which is very unsafe in most circumstances. Uh, these ones didn't. She said they cluster in the ground. Oh, weird, um, weird. And they have some kind of like lights lighting system at night it looked like it was like red some kind of like red or infrared light with like a motion sensor and i guess owls and predatory birds don't like that light so at night this motion sensor light scares away the owls and during the day they also i guess the way they keep them in the area they want to is they use electrified fences and then they have herding dogs Mm. also so the herding dogs will keep away any predator that's yeah. trying to go after them that's pretty cool because um, i think like i don't you know i don't love the way that we have the girls right now in their little um grazing area mm-hmm. like i wish they could free range because i think but i understand why they can't yeah um, i mean ideally if we had more land then we yeah. could like we would have like a mobile fence and we would like or a tractor yeah yeah move tractor. them they'd be over here this week and then we move them over there another and week then and then they're not destroying the they're not yeah they're not because they're a road they're eroding their area pretty yeah because they scratch and like dig for bugs and stuff like that so you can't leave them in one tiny little area for too long otherwise they'll what do what they did in the area we have here where it's yeah. just like dirt they scratch up all the grass but yeah you got to kind of like move them around because on their own that's kind of what they do is they forage and like are kind of nomadic a little bit yeah like move around and search different areas for bugs yeah yeah but all of those all of those things like well actually i am was gonna go back and say like i am really glad we have the chickens and that we got them in the pandemic i think that was (laughs) like (coughs) like kind of just um i don't know it's just been a really great process of like learning how that works yeah and now there's so much like egg drama in this country <laughs> that there's something very satisfying about our little we got those golden eggs baby yeah but our little like overstock of eggs and i don't know they they're just they're really interesting weird animals yeah to observe and like they're kind of annoying and disgusting but i love them as well <laughs> you know they're very weird um so yeah, I think, like, you, so if you ever had, like, a, a little, well, we hope to one day have a somewhat more rural homesteader, homesteader style type scenario existence. Yeah. But that's not going to, that to you does not mean, like, preparing for the worse. No, not really. I mean just seems like it's it's so unless you are getting everything for for free somehow it's so like very expensive and it's just i don't want to put that much energy into that either it's like well i think that kind of i think that kind of um thought process can lead to 
like rabbit holes or wormholes that are maybe like too hyper focused towards like yeah. this is the outcome this is what's going to happen so i'm going to prepare for this when no one can fucking know it's gonna happen no, anything can happen i just want to live my life yeah basically <laughs> um so i was gonna ask you kind like, of oh sorry no, no go ahead i say like yeah if something goes down like it goes down like i don't think any amount of prepare quote-unquote preparedness is really will you ever really be prepared for the reality of what right. that thing is because right. it might be so different from anything we can imagine because we haven't really how, how many of us have lived through one of those things well in a way covid was that a little bit yeah and maybe continues but, to be that in ways we don't even know you know when i'm talking like yeah like it's like an, ast- an asteroid impact or sure. something. Let's like say something how, there's not very many of us that can say that we've lived to that or know what that's going to be like. And it, it could be fucking anything. Right. Like it, there's so many variables. But yeah, for me, it's just like, yeah, having some basic survival yeah. skills. It's like, I think, you know, us as humans, our greatest, um, our greatest uh, evolutionary trait is our adaptability. Mm-hmm. Like, so I'm interested in, like, fostering things that work with that. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like being married to one spot Mm -hmm. is not, you're not, you're, you're cutting yourself off at the, like, Mm -hmm. shins, kind of, where you're like, oh, I gotta sit here on my big nest egg and protect it. Like, oh, let's, like you were saying, like, yeah, build... Relationships. relationships with people around us like which you can also do if you're you know like i do come from a rural area where a lot of people have that mindset yeah but they also have the mindset of like when i have too much bear meat i go down the street and give it to bobby and then bobby gives me a bunch of his raspberry preserves and like there is a mindset of like uh very like casual mutuality and care yeah. and like in in an insular economy or whatever you want to call it i feel like that's what i, I just economy. i just finished like a batch of my homemade hot sauce homegrown mm-hmm. homemade hot sauce and kind of like i was telling you someone was like trying to buy a bottle from me i was like i don't want to feel that it's too precious like right. i don't i think i'm just gonna give them one like right. just because they asked uh yeah it's because, like, yeah, it's like, I don't want to be... It's like, yeah, I want to have all this stuff so we can have hot sauce for a year. But it's also, like, eh. Yeah. It doesn't... It's like... But you Someone's have, interested in it. Let's just get... let just give it to them. But you have done, like, the hot sauce thing where, like, you offered it up to people. And there's, like, a weird, like... I don't know. Maybe this is... Maybe this is just my read of, like... The, the, the gesture you have towards, like, gift-giving is this gesture of like let's create connections where we all feel like we have like a mutuality or whatever yeah. uh, conviviality is i think the word that is often used for that a conviviality towards people whether they're our best friends or someone we barely know it's just it's encouraging a culture of conviviality and, and abundance even though none of us are rich you know mm-hmm. um but do you ever feel like that is i don't know maybe not how some people like receive it or like it's hard to find other people who are thinking of it in that yeah, way i don't know i mean I, I feel like i'm not necessarily the hot sauce thing but i think 
uh, I think it was also during the beginning of COVID when I, I had like a big batch of beer and I was like, who wants some beer? And I was like being the beer fairy. And I was riding my bike around the city yeah. delivering this beer I made to people. And the only asks I had was like, if you have any like old beer bottles laying around, give them to me to replace the one that I'm one or two that I'm giving you. Yeah. So, cause I had to collect all these beer bottles to put the beer in it. Right, and now I'm right. giving away the bottles I use to put right. beer in when I make a batch. Right. And uh, it was that, and then I was like, please give me any feedback you have on the beer. Like, even if you don't like, if you fucking hate it, tell me. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be offended. Like, it's good to hear, like, oh, I didn't like it. It tasted mm, too sour mm-hmm. or whatever. It tasted right. like dirt. Right, right. <laughs> um, just to hear any feedback about it. But, it, yeah, it's, I think I brought beer to maybe, like, six or seven people. And, like, yeah, not a single person Crickets, <laughs> could, yeah. could, uh, could... Uh, I guess gift me back with either of those requests. Well, is that like, then a gift or is it a barter? Where like I'm gonna, kind of a, yeah. Where maybe all you're asking for is feedback. I'm just like, hey, I would love to hear feedback. If you have any bottles, like yeah. please throw them, empty bottles, please throw them my way. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting thing. I think you can. You know, we most people have not grown up in circumstances where that sort of exchange whether it's barter or gift is done under like not under capitalism like Mm. it's christmas that's when you give gifts out because hallmark said that's when you give gifts out or the church said that's when you give gifts out or what the fuck ever you know what i mean yeah like creating (coughs) creating those like um uh networks of mutuality or reciprocity or like uh is reciprocity the right word in a way reciprocal Mm -hmm. yeah reciprocal um giving it maybe just takes that you know practice and a lot of us aren't practiced i'm not i'm not a good gift giver i know this about myself but i do (laughs) but i do like um have a lot of faith in get like gift outside of what i've experienced gift as which is birthday christmas you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like gift as like obligation or whatever like i have a a a different idea maybe of like what gift could be and i'm still figuring that out and a lot of people are also figuring that out and it takes us like interfacing with each other in these new ways of like sharing things or information you know that's not under the obligatory or like known um parameters for it i'm kind of rambling but oh it's okay (laughs) yeah i don't know i just think um i think the i think the networks are the most important way of being prepared and um can feel a little discouraging to do that in the city sometimes because it just you know it feels like that's not most people's first um priority the first priority is like food and shelter obviously and then a lot of times it's like prestige and clout <laughs> mm, because mm-hmm. that is also a really big part of the lifestyle we live under as like creatures who spend a lot of time on social media, you know? Yeah. So there's just like a lot to like push against, but um, yeah, I don't know. I'm glad you're learning to bow hunt. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's really cool. And um, you can count on me to like, find some weird stuff to eat if necessary and to help butcher 
Oh yeah, you I like love, the butchering class. I do enjoy butchering and I enjoy cooking and I there's a lot of like everybody has a little piece to share. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> I think also there's something to be said about like the there is like a sort of glamorized element to pre- prepper culture, which to me is very masculinized. What's the glamorized? Well, for people who really enjoy prepper culture, oh. the glamorization of it to me is also very masculine. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, the, kind gun, of like this it's the gun stuff. It's provider the, protector type shit. And like very lone wolf individualist, mm. strong man who can do everything for himself and doesn't need anybody in his bunker image. You know what I yeah. mean? And I'm obviously not about that at all. You don't want to get a bunker? No. But I think, but I think within that preparedness and survivalist stuff also does kind of have a masculine overtone to it at times of like prizing the hunter role prizing those kind of like you know what i mean kind of roles i'm not saying you're doing this i'm saying i think there is like a certain um there is a certain prioritization of those like big things because i mean big game is big survival. It's like we watched yeah. this show called Alone, um, which is about people surviving in the wilderness with only a limited number of items and their survival skills. And like, yes, shooting an animal is going to help you survive the longest, like a big animal, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, it's understandable why that's prized, but there is kind of like within the prepper like paradigm, there is this also like weird machismo um, coding to it. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, that's one thing, like, from all the skills and stuff that I've, I mean, not that I have, like, a a gigantic library or anything, but from (laughs) the shit that I have under my belt, like, for me, it's really important to teach, like, other, like, black people, people of color, and women, especially, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, there's a couple... women that have been like oh i'm interested in learning how to shoot i'm like let me know when you're ready let's fucking go to the range like i'll teach you everything i know like i'm not like a crazy marksman or anything like like that that, i can teach you the basics but like that but even that though to me is part of the machismo thing is it's like not everybody needs to hunt like there are a lot of the things that are considered feminized work which is under under uh, i don't know certain like social scripts is feminized work foraging is considered feminizing i mean i forage no no i'm just saying i'm I'm talking under the scripts but you know what uh, i mean if you're saying like yeah i want to show women how to hunt it's well it's more it's more about people who have expressed an interest yeah like it's not oh little girl you need to learn how to shoot a gun yeah no yeah it's people who have expressed an interest to me and it's not just women it's like i i feel a strong connection to people who are like through whatever reason feel excluded from that world yeah. kind of like when i show up at the range yeah. i know everyone's fucking looking at me like what the fuck are you yeah. doing here yeah 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 no, um, very fair it's more it's, about it's hard that to, get a fo- to me it's hard it's to not... get a foot into any of that stuff. yeah yeah it's like yeah I mean, besides the cost all of it, of all of the it. outdoor stuff yeah. i've done basically i've been the only black person there like Mm, mm. mountain biking like wilderness therapy like yeah all the fucking camping hiking like any of that shit yeah i've been by myself yeah um it's more like i get very excited when someone that 
someone else that comes from that kind of background that might feel excluded or not. But now that you know how to bow hunt, are you going to audition for a loan? <laughs> well, I don't know how to bow hunt yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I haven't bow hunted yet, so uh, I don't know if I'm going to audition for a loan. Please audition yet. for a loan. If, if our listeners have not seen a loan... Check it out. I think it's a real, for, I don't know, if you're interested in any of this kind of stuff, Alone is a very interesting reality show for survival skill interested people. I think you would do great on Alone. And even, even if you didn't, it, I do think everything you were just saying too about people who are so excluded from those kind of skills and that, that kind of like outdoor wilderness um hunting all of that stuff mm-hmm. like alone is i think since their first couple of shows trying to get better at like you know showing that there are more than just white dudes which i think their first season was just white dudes we haven't watched it right mm, no we haven't i wouldn't be surprised if it was um yeah exactly um it seems like they're trying to showcase that there are other people who have those <laughs> skills <coughs> excuse me um and and women, it's been interesting to see the women on the show and, yeah. and see how they they're. Um, they haven't had a non-white woman though, have they? They have not had a non-white woman. At least that we've in the seasons that we've watched. Um. Maybe an indigenous woman. I can't remember. I, yeah. I feel like possibly, but there's been like uh, three or four, like. Non-white men. Yeah, non-white men. But, uh, yeah, I think you should audition. At least audition. I, I, I got <coughs> to master the bow first. <laughs> first, I must master the bow. I don't I'm not one of, like, my, like, I feel like we've talked about this before. My metabolism's too high if I cannot... Yeah. If I can't get a lot of calories mm, quickly, mm. I'm going to die on that show. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's Not like, die, but I'm go- I'm going to go hungry really quickly. But think of how it doesn't even matter if you tap out like two days into it, three days into it. Still, how interesting would it be to go through that process and be like, wow, you know? I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a very competitive I know person. you are. You wouldn't tap I'm out not day going, three. I'm not going on there to fucking tap out. No, if I'm going, I'm going You're to, gonna starve to death. try my best to win. And if I don't think my skills are where they need to no. be to do that, I'm not I'm not doing it. Well, anyway, you have my support, and I think my brother DM'd you about it, too. Because it's yeah, so obvious did. that you're supposed to be on that show. <laughs> it's so obvious that you know how to make a fire. I still have no idea, like, in high school, the senior superlatives were that I I got voted most likely to win Survivor. Right. I've still never seen Survivor. I'm like... I don't. I don't think I ever talked to anyone in high school about being into the outdoors or anything. Like, I'm like, I I feel like people just ran or thought it was like funny to like. like, Did you ever talk about trapping animals? Not often. Not often. But even if you talked about a little, think about how insane Mm. that would have been to your peers. I don't. 
Because you lived in the, you lived in a city. You didn't yeah. live like in the middle of the woods where I grew up. People, kids hunted, children hunted. Yeah, I'm not sure that I have. I'm just saying, I if it was, it wasn't many. But I really, but I it might have. Gone I a long cannot way. remember ever mentioning that to anyone because mm. it just doesn't seem like something that would come up. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you just have that vibe. Like you, got it, that, you got that prepper vibe. <laughs> it, it would be one thing if I successfully ever trapped anything, but yeah, I I caught a bobcat toe. Yeah. Once. But you you know you tried and, and that that does that does a long time. Yeah. On a raccoon. So anyway, if you want to see Temba on alone <laughs> on the History Channel, um, send us an email. And let us know. We really would love to see him try. Of course, I don't want you to starve yourself to death. We would have to fatten you up, and that would be. I would I, have I'm fun. not sure. I don't know if that would. <laughs> if that would do it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no. That's that's one of the hardest parts for people is how much weight they lose, and sometimes they get pulled off for losing too much weight, even if they're do- otherwise yeah, mentally would, sound and ready to go. I would be like on death's door after like week two. <laughs> after an hour two, honey, <laughs> honey. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. I see you on a daily basis. <laughs> Yeah. All I've eaten is this reindeer lichen, and I just I <laughs> think I'm gonna. It's something I that know. Was, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. That grows a lot, at least when they're filming in BC. Yeah. Or not BC, but the western part of Canada. Like, uh, I I just can't do it anymore. <laughs> Two hours in. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, stay prepared, my friends. Stay frosty, motherfucker. Uh, Get to know your neighbors and uh, Godspeed you. (laughs) No. (laughs) All right, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Cosmic Halitosis. If you have questions or comments or want to yell something at us, email us at cosmic with a K, halitosis, cosmichalitosis at gmail. Dot com. Please subscribe and like the podcast. And you can follow us on our personal Instagram accounts. I am Gorgeous Taps, and Temba is Tembizzle, T E M B I Z Z L E. Thanks for listening.